Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with my friend Steve Chapel of chapelguideservice.com. And Steve is going to bring a great wealth of knowledge to the table in regards to uh, how to apply in Arizona. And we're going to go over the 2017 elk regulations. Uh, we're going to go over some units that Steve feels like are uh, on the uptrend. We're going to talk about draws. We're going to talk about the moon phases. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the season dates and some of the changes. And and it's going to be a great episode. I want to thank him for coming on. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for all your support. Uh, please send me your questions, your comments at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow along Dar and I's adventures on Instagram. Uh, that's at J. Scott Outdoors, and Dar Colburn is at Dar Colburn. Uh, you can also go to our website for our guiding business, Colburn and Scott Outfitters.com. Uh, you can also link to the podcast, whether on uh, Android or iTunes, uh, off my website, jscottoutdoors.com. Guys, I want to thank uh, the sponsors of my podcast. First and foremost, GoHunt.com Insider has just released their Arizona draw odds. And these are the true draw odds taking into the consideration of the new change with the 5 and the 15% with the non-resident cap. So these are, are the most accurate draw odds available. Uh, and they are live on Go Hunt Insider. To see those and to sign up for a uh, Insider account, uh, go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider. Use the J Scott promo code. That's all one word, or J Scott with a space in it. Either one works, uh, and you will receive a fifty-dollar Kuyu gift card. And I want to thank Lorenzo and Chris Porter and their group over at GoHunt.com. Uh, for their support of my podcast. I also want to thank phonescope.com. If you use the jscott16 promo code, you can get 10% off on all Phonescope products. Check them out at phonescope.com. Uh, guys, also Real Game Calls, Drew Rouse, uh, and the guys over there in Gypsum, Colorado, uh, they're, they're coming out with uh, a turkey call. They've been uh, testing uh, called the Buck Reel. Um, they, you guys have known about the elk reel. Uh, you get a 20% discount when you use the J Scott promo code. And I also want to thank the Outdoorsman's, the optics authority here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. It's where I get all my optics. I've known uh, the owners over there for, for over 20 years, and uh, they are the optics authority. Uh, if you use the J Scott uh, promo code, you call them up, you uh, also use it online. Uh, you get a 10% discount. So, guys, thanks for all your support. I appreciate all the positive comments through my email. And uh, if you haven't, please go on iTunes and give me a positive review. It helps my placement on iTunes. And uh, let's get right to this episode. And don't forget, February 14th is the deadline for Arizona elk and antelope applications. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Steve Chapel of chapelguideservice.com. Uh, Steve's been on the podcast a bunch and uh, we always get great feedback uh, when Steve comes on. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. I'm so glad to be with you again today. I think the last time was sometime during the summer, so 
I've been looking forward to talking with you again. Yeah, you know, I get such great feedback. We did a several-part series, I want to say a three- or four-part series on uh, elk calling, and you went through all the mechanics of mouth calling and the mechanics of, of using an external read call, and I don't believe we've spoken since elk season. Um, how did it go for you in, in 2016, Steve? It was a good season, Jay. I can't say that it was the most epic, easy season that I've ever been through. I think part of that was because of the earlier archery dates this past year, you know, the 9th through the 22nd of September, uh, you know, and the rut was a little bit later. And we had a lot of storms during those seasons. So, you know, the bugling was pretty spotty. Um, you know, we still managed to succeed and, and do well. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that 2017 is a is a little bit easier go of it this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. Um, I, I think those dates, and I believe we even talked about it on the prior podcast, that, you know, those dates of the 9th through the 22nd, in my opinion, if you want a good bugling hunt, that's just too early. And um, not that you can't hear bulls bugling and not that you can't call in bulls, but, you know, year in and year out, Usually by about the 15th, 16th of September, you have a lot more consistent bugling. Of course, I believe we had a full moon um, right there in the middle of it, too. Yes. Uh, Steve, looking at the Arizona applications, today we're going to talk about uh, elk hunting in Arizona and all the different uh, applications and units that, that people can apply for. Um, I know it's a hot topic right now, but looking ahead... Um, our moon in uh, September is, I believe, on the 20th of September, the, the, the dark moon, excuse me. The dark moon is the 20th of September, and the archery seasons, which I know everybody's fired up about, uh, they most of them start on September 15th. And so right. that dark moon, tell me in your mind what that means for the archery hunters going into this 2017 Arizona season. Yeah, Jay, I completely agree with you about when the rut kind of kicks in. And I've always said the 17th or 18th and beyond until early October is when you really want to be hunting. So those dates are perfect and coincide with that great rutting activity. You know, I've kind of noticed that with the moon and elk hunting, the, the relationship that I've seen is that when you have a full moon, those elk really instinctually take advantage of that nighttime light and they do a lot of their rutting during the night. And so by the time it becomes, you know, first light in the morning and you're going to be hunting them, they've worn themselves out fighting and bugling and chasing all night. And they're just pretty much ready to go to bed and bed down for the day. And then the same thing kind of happens in the afternoon. They instinctually know that they have that nighttime light again to rut. So they're sluggish to get up and start rutting in the afternoon. And, you know, you're lucky if you get on one good bugling bull before before dark. Now, I have noticed that you can get on some bulls and have some bugling, you know, say in the middle of the day, although that's not 100% reliable. You know, when I have my way, I definitely like to hunt, you know, the dark moon to, to mid moon than I do the full moon dates. I've just found that consistently it's a lot better. So uh, this year with the dates, it's going to lend itself in the moon phase. It's going to lend itself to a lot better hunting, in my opinion. In your opinion, and I agree with you, in your opinion, does the moon, 
you know, being dark on the 20th, do you fear at all that maybe the elk won't get cranking until the end of September as the moon starts to grow at night? Um, or do you think by the 20th being a new moon that there's the, the, the timing of that within the month, it actually makes for, I mean, the perfect scenario for an archery hunter starting on the 15th? Yeah, I, I kind of like to think that it's going to be good, especially, like I said, from like the 18th and beyond, despite, despite the fact that it's going to be a dark, dark moon. I have heard it said, and I did talk to a, a guy who actually owns a private elk ranch up in Oregon when I was up there one time doing a seminar and just happened to meet him. And I was asking him about elk in the full moon because I knew he would have a lot of valuable information because he's right there with the elk and observes them at all times. And he told me that that most of his cows will cycle right within, I think he said, three or four days of a full moon is what he told me. Of course, that's typically going to, you know, coincide with, you know, right around that third week of September. Um, but he did say that most of those cows will cycle around that full moon. So that's something I, I guess we'll have to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the converse of that is you know, I would rather be hunting in a dark moon phase mid-September than hunting, you know, mid-September in a full moon, even though I think, you know, your potential rutting activity could be chaotic. It's all going to be, not all, but most of it, it's going to be in the dark. So, I mean, I think this year sets up with the dates uh, being the 15th to the 28th and with the moon uh, being on the 20th, right in the middle of the hunt, in essence. I think it really sets up for a, for a nice um, upcoming season. Uh, moisture, you know, it's it's so hard to predict. I believe yes. <laughs> the applications are due. I believe February fourteenth. It's always a Tuesday. I believe seven right. seven p.m. Um, yes. You know, one thing to mention about that we had talked a little bit before this podcast is, you know. There's still people out there doing the paper applications. In your opinion, why would anybody want to do paper applications in your opinion? I have no reasons for that, Jay. As a matter of fact, I have a couple of reasons why you would not want to do a paper application. Uh, number one is because when you do it online, you can actually print out what you just did. In other words, the hunts that you applied for you have a printout that lists the hunt numbers. So if there was ever a question, like for instance, what if Game and Fish were to issue you an archery cow tag for unit one and you applied for the archery bull tag, you would have a record, a documented record of that with that printout. So I like it for that reason. I also like it for the fact that you're not worried about the mail and the potential of sending in uh, you know, your application on paper and having it lost in the mail. And if you do it um, certified mail, then basically someone at Game and Fish has to sign for it, and that could get you into a situation where you know there's not someone readily available to sign, and it, it, you know, and if you wait till the last minute, it could just be a nightmare. So I think in all situations, it 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 really makes sense to apply online, and it, it's a really pretty simple process. Uh, you know, the Arizona Game and Fish has done a great job with the system. I think it's very good. The only thing a person wants to avoid is waiting till the last five or 10 minutes on the last day because a lot of times the computer system gets jammed up and guys have trouble getting in there that last few minutes. So you know, as long as a person applies reasonably uh, within a reasonable amount of time, I always say if you get on there, you know, late January to early February, you're totally fine. 
Yeah, and, and it's funny. I just got back from Mexico coos deer hunting, and, man, there's already people sending me emails and all fired up, you know, saying <laughs> – and then I had some guys say, I already applied. I'm already in, and I'm thinking, goodness, we're like 30 – we're like 40 <laughs> days away from it even, you know, being a deadline. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess – I guess if you're that busy and you're that fired up, I, for me, I like kind of waiting to the last minute. A lot of times, not to the last day, but I kind of like to wait the last two or three days. You know, yeah. You know, see if if all of a sudden it just turns completely dry between now and then, or you know, if, oh, if one unit or another just is getting pounded with snow or rain, maybe that's going to influence my decision. You know, yes. this time of year, you don't have to worry about fires as much, but you never know. So, I mean, I typically wait a little later in the draw period uh, and then go ahead and make my decision. Um, but, but that's just me. Um, Steve, how I do the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just kind of wait and see how all the variables play out. Um, right. In, in your in your mind uh, and, and you field a lot of calls. Well, let's back up. Uh, you've been an outfitter in Arizona for a long, long time, and you obviously have the Extreme Bulls uh, DVD series. You have the Arizona Application DVD, which is a very, very comprehensive, um, you know, do's and don'ts when you're applying. Can can you, from from an outfitter's perspective and a hunter that you know, when you draw a tag, you're stoked to draw a tag in Arizona. Can you kind of walk? the listeners and myself through how the Arizona draw process works. And and this application period, we're talking about elk and antelope, but for this discussion, we're just gonna talk about elk. Yes, okay. Yeah, and the draw does work the same for both, but yeah, I do cover it very comprehensively on that Arizona application strategies DVD. So if somebody you know would get that DVD, I think they'd have a real deep understanding of the draw and how to read the reports. But to put it in a nutshell, Basically, the main things that a person needs to understand is that our draw is a three-phase system, but only the two, the first two phases matter for bull elk. And the reason I say that is because all of the bull elk tags are going to be gone by the time they've gone through the bonus point round, which is the first phase of the draw, where they issue the first 20% of the tags to the highest point holders, although that's going to be, it's down to 15% now with the new change in the draw that they put into effect this past year. I'll get to that in a, in a little bit. And then, uh, and then by the time they go through the random phase of the draw, where they're looking at everyone's first and second choices, they have in effect issued all the bull tags. So you need to keep in mind that it all comes down to your first and your second choice on your application. If you keep that in mind and always remember that the computer is going to consider your first choice and then your second choice when it comes to your application in the sequence of the draw. So you can conceivably draw your second choice. As a matter of fact, I've drawn three second choice archery elk hunts in the last 15 years in Arizona. So the draw does work exactly how they say it does. Uh, you know, unlike most states where they're going to consider just your first choice and consider everyone else first choices before they look at second choices, our draw is different. So your first two choices are very valid and very important. Um, aside from that, basically a person needs to, to think about their uh, expectations and goals on a hunt. You know, someone who's a strict trophy hunter and just wants to be looking for 350 and better bulls during the rut, you know, they're going to want to apply for two real premium type archery or early rifle hunts on their application and go that way. 
Now, someone who thinks, okay, I'd be happy with a, you know, 320 bull or maybe even a little lesser, uh, you know, a good strategy would be to apply for a, you know, very good hunt as their first choice. If it was an archery hunt, you know, apply for one of the premier units and then think about the odds for their second choice. So they would back it up with a, you know, a middle tier type of unit as their second choice to give themselves probably three times the odds that their first choice would give them. Um, to me, those are the those are the two best strategies to use when you're applying. Either go for two premier units or go for a premier unit and then a mid-tier unit as your second choice. Now let's talk about that because I, I talk to people every single year that don't quite understand. And let's just throw out the number of non-resident 17 bonus points. Uh -huh. And they say, I put in for unit nine, first choice, swinging for the fence. And yep. I put in for unit 3C as my second choice. But boy, I sure hope I draw nine. Mistake. That's a bad mistake. I'm glad you asked that question, Jay, because in that instance, your bonus points are going to come into play. And what's going to happen to that person who applies for nine and 3C with 17 bonus points is that as I, as I mentioned a minute ago, the bonus point phase of the draw is the first phase. So what's going to happen is when the computer comes to your application with 17 bonus points, it's going to look at unit 9 to see if it can be filled. If not, it's going to immediately look at 3C to see if 17 bonus points is enough to get you that 3C tag. And this year, I believe it would automatically get you the 3C tag. So in other words, Drawing the 3C tag in the bonus point round gives you zero chance of drawing the 9 tag. So when people build those kind of bonus points and get up there in the level of points, they really have to think and consider what their second choice is going to be because basically it can completely eliminate their first choice as you just highlighted there by, by saying that. Yeah, and I think people can't get their arms around the fact that, you know, I'm swinging for the fence with the first one, uh, you know, just a swing for the fence. And but, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I, I probably won't get my second choice. In reality, you actually had a zero percent chance to draw unit nine and you automatically drew unit three C. So, yes, you know, Steve, um, GoHunt.com Insider is a title sponsor of this podcast. And I don't know if you've seen it yet, but they have launched their uh, non-resident uh, draw odd statistics. Uh, taking into consideration uh, the the five and the fifteen percent that what you were talking about earlier, right? And yeah, if I'm looking at this chart, and obviously I'm not going to give all the numbers away because you have to be an insider member to 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 get these numbers. But in this, for instance, uh, it's saying Unit Nine Archery with seventeen points as a non-resident had a .80 chance of drawing as a non-resident last year and but 3c there it was a hundred percent at 18 points there were no applications at 17 it was a hundred percent at 16 and a 60 percent at 15 points yes so right yeah. there i mean if if someone would have applied with the 17 they automatically would have gotten 3c and if they don't look at these numbers they don't know what their second choice they could get. So it's, it, in my mind, you either need to pick like middle tier units as your first and second or, or really good units as your first and second and know that 
okay, I'm putting in for nine and my second choice is 10. Well, 10 typically has lower uh, odds and you're yeah. probably never even going to have a chance at nine. So maybe you should have put unit 10 as your first choice. Yeah, it almost gets harder the more bonus points that you build to know what to apply for. Because like you say, basically when you build the point total that it takes to draw a particular unit, then in effect you've given yourself no chance to draw that first choice hunt. So, you know, people down in point levels anywhere from zero to say, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 bonus points, you're totally fine, you know, to say apply for nine and 10 or nine and three C or nine and one and you're only going to draw on the random round so it's not even a consideration about drawing with your bonus points but yeah once you get up there and you're pushing that number to draw in the bonus point round yeah you better watch what you apply for second choice it'll get you in trouble yeah for sure uh it, you know and it's it's just something if it, when you really start digging into the numbers you really have to know what you know, who's applying for what and what those trends are. And I think that's the value of Gohan Insider. Um, Steve, right. I want to go through uh, some of your favorite units that you personally like to guide in and you uh, have guides in, in a bunch of these different units and maybe just kind of do a little bit of a highlight. Um, well, before we get to that, I want to go back to the the... the Old old rule of 20% of the tags went to the uh, non-residents or people with the most bonus points. Yeah, and most bonus points. Now yeah. they now they have it where it's a five and fifteen. Can you explain Correct. the five and fifteen? And, and in my mind, people with zero to three, four, five, six, seven points, they now mathematically have a chance to draw a say a unit nine or a unit ten or a twenty-three or a one where before they had a 0% chance. That's exactly right. And that's what that change in the draw did for those people. Overall, it was a good thing, I think, when you take into account everyone and everyone's interests. Um, yeah, so basically it used to be a 20% bonus point allotment, but we still had that 10% non-resident cap within the draw. So what was happening all of the non-resident tags were being issued in the bonus point round. In other words, they were capping out that 10%. So when they got to the regular random part of the draw, there were no non-resident tags left. Well, what they saw is that happening. So to adjust that, let's just take a hunt for easy numbers that's got 100 bull tags. So now on this hunt with 100 bull tags, instead of allowing all 10 of those potential non-resident tags to be issued in that 20% bonus point round, they're now only allowing five of those tags to be issued. And then the other five are moved into the random draw where a non-resident can potentially draw in that phase of the draw, although they're not guaranteed to the non-resident. That's something that I should mention. Um, but they do have, like you say, a fighting chance of drawing the tag. So basically, in effect, what that did is it gave the, it gave the residents basically 15% of the tags in the bonus point round and the non-residents 5% of the tags in the bonus point round but it opened up the potential for any non-resident to draw any tag any year in the random part of the draw, which I think is a good thing. And I heard, Jay, from a pretty reliable source that through all the hunts, all considered, the non-residents only came short of drawing that 5% in the bonus point round by a total of six tags total. 
so it really when it after it all said and done it really didn't affect it that much is that what you're saying right right um you know i think a lot of non-residents who were carrying high point totals and about to draw their hunt uh you know it aggravated them which i can totally agree and understand with um but the draw still worked very well and it appeared like the you know the non-residents still took their lion's share of the tags and you know basically got you know, I won't say it's called a quota because it's not, they're not guaranteed, but they did get right up to the percentage in the draw. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, what do you tell people that that are applying with someone else? Um, and, and, you know, they're like, Hey Steve, I want to get this tag and Oh, I'm putting in with someone else. What are the pros and cons of applying with someone else? I tell them, in my opinion, the only way that makes sense is if it's a late rifle hunt where you've got a lot of tags. Because, you know, let's take a late rifle hunt that's got roughly 500 tags. In that scenario, there's going to be 50 available non-resident tags. So chances are, with two people on the application, you know, they the draw would have to get down to issuing that 50th tag, basically, and have two people on the application which would exceed the non-resident cap. In other words, if they issued those two tags, it would make 51 non-resident tags and the computer won't do that. So that application would be bypassed. Um, where that really comes into play is on an archery or early rifle hunt where you've got much fewer tags. Again, if we took that hunt with a hundred tags into consideration and there's only 10 non-resident tags available, let's say you're not someone with a bunch of points and in the random draw, miraculously, the computer comes to your application. It's about ready to issue you that 10th non-resident tags or tag, and you have your buddy on there with you. <laughs> in that situation, unfortunately, it's going to exceed the non-resident cap. It's going to bypass your application. So I tell guys, late rifle hunts only are the ones that would make sense to apply with a friend. Otherwise, what I advise them to do is apply separately, and then if one of them draws the tag, the other guy can you know, come along and accompany him on the hunt and have a great time. Yeah, and I would say the only other reason would be if you had someone that said, you know, I've got 20 points for elk, and I, I just, I really don't care, and you're sitting there on, you know, four points, and, you know, your buddy's like got 20, and he says, you can put in with me. Tell me what that does with the way Arizona uh, rounds up and, and averages their their bonus points. Yeah, it basically would really reward the guy on the low end of the points and really penalize the guy on the high end, but if he doesn't care. Um, so what they would do in effect, a guy with 20 points and a guy with four points, is they add their points together and divide by two. So that would give them an average of 12 points. So they would go into the draw with 12 bonus points. If the number comes out to 0.5, like for whatever reason, if it if it was uh, come, came out to 12.5, they would round it up, and you would you would be treated as if you had 13 bonus points in that scenario. Okay, so they always round up in that situation. Yes, if it's 0.5, yes. Okay. Um, trying to think what other questions, little tricks of the tricks of the application there. Um, well, let's take a quick break here, and then I want to actually go into units that you like and kind of give a rundown on those. Absolutely, Jay. Sounds great. Okay, Steve, you brought up a good point that you wanted to um, tell the listeners. What is that? I wanted to talk, Jay, about how the computer treats your application based on how many bonus points you have. I think it's a very important aspect of the draw. So basically, I'll cover that by saying 
the computer is going to issue you random numbers based on how many points you have and then it's going to select the lowest one and assign that to your application so let's say you know you've got five bonus points and you're going to apply this year for 2017 the computer is going to issue you it's got a random number generating program on it so what it's going to do is issue you five random numbers for your bonus points and then one more for your application and the reason it issues you that extra random number a lot of people mistakenly think that they have six bonus points going into the draw they don't they have five but the reason that it issues you that extra random number is because a person with zero bonus points gets a random number issued for their application so to be fair to all applicants it's going to issue you that one extra random number for your application so back to the guy with five bonus points the computer's going to issue him those six random numbers it's going to select the lowest one of the six and discard the other five and it's going to assign that one random number to his application and then in the draw what the computer does is it starts with the very lowest random number that it generated looks at that application and consider that applicants first and second choices before it moves on to the next highest random number that it issued and then it you know obviously considers that person's first and second choices and so on until all the tags are issued now where random numbers come into play in the bonus point round a lot of people don't understand this but a lot of times what happens in the bonus point round that first phase of the draw is you can have several people with the same amount of bonus points like let's say there's 10 people with 18 bonus points who are applying for the same hunt well how does the computer differentiate those guys what it does is it issues random numbers to all of those applicants actually all applicants but then when it's comparing those people who have the same amount of bonus points it does so and differentiates based on the lowest random number that it generated for each applicant if that makes sense so in other words if there's 10 people that have 18 points they all have random numbers then it looks at okay how many of those random numbers have 18 points and which one has the lowest random number correct exactly so in the bonus point round it bases issuing tags first off on how many points you have so in other words somebody with lower points than you won't draw ahead of you unless that non-resident cap has been met I should mention that if a non-resident cap has been met non-residents are cut off right there but aside from that let's say that there's two non-residents with with 18 bonus points or, or 10 non-residents with 18 bonus points basically the computer differentiates differentiates those 10 people based on the lowest random number that it generated for them so there's times when you know let's say there's only a couple of non-resident tags available well only two of those guys with 18 points will get the tag because of those random numbers gotcha but then in, but then i should say in the random part of the draw after the bonus point round when we move into the next phase of the draw when it's considered considering your first and second choices in the random draw then it's totally about that random lowest random number that it generated for you and i you know i have friends and people all the time who get aggravated because they say you know i put in for the same hunts that this guy put in for and i had 10 bonus points and he had three and he drew the hunt how is that possible you know the draw doesn't work right or it's rigged or you know he knows somebody in, in game and fish but 
the key to understanding that is, is you have to realize that in that random part of the draw, it's all about what was the lowest random number that that computer issued you for your application. So it's very conceivable for someone to draw, you know, right out of the gate or with fewer bonus points than someone else in that random phase of the draw because it truly is random. Yeah, I mean, I I could see how someone could say it's rigged. <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah. And totally you know when they don't understand it but to me our draw is is perfect because it has an element of fairness with the bonus point round being first you know and those you know 20 percent of the tags being issued like we talked about 15 and 5 for residents and non-residents and then we've got that random part of the draw where the remaining 80 percent of the tags are issued so you know we've got that element of fairness and then in that element of excitement or randomness and i just think it just it's a hybrid draw and it makes perfect sense and it's just got the perfect combination of fairness and excitement. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Steve, let's go into uh, the units that you like to guide in. Talk about maybe we'll just start with the archery elk hunts. So we're talking in this case bull elk hunts. Um, you know, maybe tell me your top four or five units and then maybe some mid tier units. You bet, Jay. You know, I feel like, for the most part, nothing's really changed in my mind with what I consider to be the premier units, and I don't think there's a lot of secret out there, so I don't think I'm really letting anything out of the bag by saying, you know, 9, 10, 1, 23, 3C are typically, you know, what I consider to be the top five, and I think most guides who are out there a lot and experience these hunts and these units would, would agree with me on that. Um you know, basically all of those units except for 3C, which was removed off the alternative management program several years ago, the other four are on the alternative management program where they, you know, issue tags and manage the herd for a higher bull to cow ratio and a higher, you know, hunt quality, hunt experience quality. Um, you know, basically that comes down to having a high bull to cow ratio. You're going to have better bugling because there's more competition for those cows. Uh, you're going to have more, you know, 340 and 350 type bulls, although there's not a lot of them out there uh, in those premier units. But that's basically what the alternative management units are known for. And that's what makes the rutting, you know, in my opinion, more consistent in those units. Uh, you know, then when you step down to the next level of units, I'm going to include, you know, units like 8, 7 West, uh, 27 probably would be my three that would qualify in that bunch. And then, um, you know, just what I would consider to be just standard or I don't know, I hate saying lower tier because, you know, any any of these units can be pretty good on a given year. You know, you'd be looking at units like 5B South, 5A, you know, 6B, which I hunted quite a few years ago. Um, 7 East. 7 East, exactly. Um, I always tell people if you draw a hunt like that in one of those units that I just mentioned, you need to come to the unit with the mentality that you're going to experience very spotty bugling and rutting activity. And I'm talking, you could only have good bugling maybe once every four or five days. And on an archery hunt to kill bulls, you need them to bugle. So, you know, if you're only having good bugling every three, four or five days, that only gives you maybe three days in the whole hunt to capitalize. Um, so the reason I tell people that is they need to manage their time to where they have that entire hunt at their disposal when they come. Otherwise, you know, if, they, if they're if they on a seven-day hunt, it could get really short in a hurry. 
And if they only have one or two good bugling days, it could be real, real disappointing for them. Um, so, you know, other than the top units having, you know, the better bulls on average, you know, 340 and 350 and better bulls, not to say that you can't find a 350 bull in some of those other units because you can, they're just not, not as common. But the, again, the main thing that I see is that spotty, inconsistent bugling on the, on the hunt, which can make it very tough. Steve, when you and I um, were running around uh, together out there in the Elk Woods quite a bit, uh, say 10 years ago, what I would consider, you know, back in the heyday, it seemed like, um, and, and I use that term loosely just because, you know, yeah. in, in, in some animals, you know, we're in the heyday. Um, but I feel like elk, our, our overall quality has slipped. Uh, I believe I we've shot too many bulls to maintain that quality that we had. I believe we had drought. You know, we had a bunch of different issues, private property issues, you know, things yeah. that have impacted that. But it's not like it was in 05. You know, it's not like it was in 03. You know, we had a drought in 02. Good year right. in 03, 05 was good. Um, you know, talk a little bit about and and people's expectations. You touched on it, but overall, I think we just kind of have to face that Arizona's quality is not what it was 10 years ago. Much like Utah, you know, is not. It's still good, but it's not what it was. And it's hard for some of us that have seen Arizona elk as good as it could you know, possibly be. And then anytime you start sliding and going down from that, those of us that have done it for a long, long time, it's, it's a little challenging. Would you agree? Yeah. I, unfortunately I do agree with you 100% because I remember very distinctly that year that you and your wife, Jean had the unit 10 archery tags, I believe it's 2005. Yep. I, I, I mean, Jay, I showed up in the unit, I think it was day 11 and it was incredible. The bugling, <laughs> And I know you were over in eight going, they're not bugling at all. I'm like, dude, they're blowing our door off our trailer here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that goes to show what the difference between a premier unit and a mid tier unit can be like right there. But then it also goes to show how spoiled we were back then because I mean, yeah, you're right. They were just absolutely tearing it up every day on that hunt in unit 10. You know, and back, back in, in those times, it was the same way in nine and three C and one. And, and now, you know, these past few years, I've been in Unit 9 consistently, and I just seem to be disappointed more and more with how, you know, they're not bugling consistently. Um, I, I don't really know the reason for that. I can say the reason for units like 1, where they, you know, went from 150 tags historically up to 300, uh, that's definitely going to impact the quality of the hunt. You put more pressure out and more people in the woods and, you know, the elk are going to feel that impact and, and they're not going to bugle as well. But, yeah, you are right. We are definitely on the downhill side of the heyday, so to speak. Uh, I hope it comes back uh, because, you know, that's what I live for is that three weeks there in September and early October. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like for it to be great just like you do when we go out there. And when it's not so much, it can be a bit of a downer. Um you know, I like I said, I'm. It's a little bit of a mystery to me what's going on, uh, but I sure hope this year with the better hunt dates and the good moon phase, and you know what we've started out with a good moisture year so far, 
I, I hope it will all add up to a, to a great elk year for all of us, you know, who get those archery tags and those early rifle tags. Yeah, for sure. You know, one unit that kind of is jumping out at me is a unit that I used to spend a lot of time in and really, really liked and have hunted several times and guided in there a bunch. And that's unit 10. And, and yeah, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say they at one point in time had 150. No, I think they actually had 200 uh, yes. bull tags archery bull tags in there and now they've bumped it all the way back to a hundred um you know it'll be interesting to see i don't think the quality will be visibly yes. seen for a year or two but if they yes. would keep it at a hundred for a couple years i think we'd see a return in unit 10 bouncing back to what it was 10 or 12 um years ago i just feel like with the 500 late tags and you know the 200 and and not to mention i believe they had a hundred uh yes. early rifle tags let me look That's down correct. and see how you're right early man. rifle i i just think they took too many of the top end bulls like now they only have thir uh, let's see 40 um early right. rifle tags i can remember when it was only 20 yeah there there was a yeah. hundred bull tags for archery and a hundred bull tags for early rifle and they jumped it all the way up to 200 and a hundred early rifle tags which an early rifle tag has you know 80 90 percent success and more <laughs> yeah and you're, you're whacking the top end bulls right off the top yeah yeah you're exactly right um that archery hunt was double what it should have been i like to think now that they've got it down to 100 if they'll keep it there like you say, it'll be a, a little bit of a delayed response. Like, I don't think a person could go out there this year if they were to draw the tag and there'd be 350 bulls all over the place because it's going to take a little bit of time to rebuild that trophy quality. And then, yeah, the 100 early rifle tags really impacted the quality in that unit. You know, and another thing to keep in mind is, you know, even if a person shoots a, a genetically gifted, say, 320 or 330 bull that's an up-and-comer, you know, a lot of bulls like that are killed on the archery and early rifle hunts as well. So when you have double the amount of tags that there really should be, and some of those bulls that are being harvested on the hunt are those gifted bull, gifted genetic bulls, that also hurts your trophy quality too going into the future. So I'm really hoping that they keep the archery hunt down to 100, the early rifle hunt no more than 40 where it's at right now. You know, because even there year in and year out, just like in nine, they raised the the tags this past year in 2016 from 25 to 35 on the early hunt, whether it's the firearms or the, or the muzzleloader, the rifle or the muzzleloader. And, you know, and I think putting those extra 10 tags in there will ultimately hurt nine a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think unit 10 and I hope that it rebounds because it was a phenomenal unit a decade ago and I hated seeing it slip, but I, I think it's bound to make a comeback if they keep managing it like they look like they're going to starting this year. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm looking at the Gohan Insider um, early archery. This is the non-resident. You mentioned a unit like 6B, and, you know, with eight points as a non-resident last year, it was a 100% draw. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's there's units in there like you, you mentioned 7 East. Well, there's with nine points last year, that was a 100% draw. I yes. Mean, so... You know, another one that jumps out at me is like those 4A. I mean, 4A last year, uh, 100% draw at 10 points. 
I get a lot of people, I'm sure you do too, that are in that 9, 10, 11 point range as a non-resident and they're saying, should I go late rifle yeah. or should I go mid-tier or even lower tier archery? What would you do? And it's like, oh. well, I have to ask them, well, I mean, how much do you archery hunt? And, you know, some of these yeah. units like, uh, you know, like a 4A, there's 225 or or, you know, there's a bunch of people or, you know, would you rather go on a late hunt when you don't hear any bugling? So I think it's up to what the hunter wants. Yeah, exactly. Jay. I'll be honest with you. That is the very hardest question that gets posed to me and guys that are in that middle ground with bonus points. That's the very hardest thing that I have to do when I consult and give them advice. And you're right. I, I say that ultimately it comes down to do you want to hunt rutting elk or is that not that important to you? Because if it's not, then you can apply for, you know, what I would consider to be the best two late units in the state and, you know, have a reasonable chance at a 320 plus bull, sometimes maybe 340, 350 if things go well and you're a great shooter and in good condition. Um, but if, you know, hunting rutting elk, which for me is what I live for, that's, you know, as far as hunting, that's what I'm all about. I would always in my opinion, I would want to hunt any unit during the archery season than any unit during the late hunt, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we're both suckers for bugling, um, <laughs> and, and I mean that in a good way. Um, you know, for me, elk elk hunting is, you know, getting to hear him bugle and all of that is, is huge. Now, I do have one question for you. I get it sometimes. Uh, what about the non-resident out there that says, you know, I, I just want to go experience Arizona in the rut. I mean, right. it, it's possible to draw antlerless archery elk tags with very, very few points. And that may be a great solution for someone, uh, you know, that wants to go hear elk bugle and still put meat, you know, meat in the freezer. Thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. If a guy's not after the antlers, which, you know, for some people just getting out there and hunting and, you know, sharing the experience with friends or family, you know, I can totally relate to that. I, I would have to say that I probably err on the side of being an antler hunter and <laughs> if I had to admit, but, but you're exactly right. I mean, you could draw an antlerless tag on any given year and in most of these units you're out there during the same time frame. So you would be basically you're hunting the bugling bulls because they're bugling because they have cows or they're soliciting for cows and the, the cows are going to be around those bugling bulls. So, uh, you know, as long as a guy doesn't mind seeing a big old <laughs> bull and have to pass that and shoot a cow, uh, those antlerless hunts would be a good option for someone like that. Uh, you know, I would always say it probably still makes sense if they're interested in hunting a bull at all to put a bull hunt as their first choice and then that antlerless hunt as a second choice. Although by doing that, again, you're never going to build bonus points by doing that because you're going to draw so frequently uh, with those antlerless hunts, but you're going to get a hunt a lot in a decade. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, let's talk about, we've talked about the archery, we've talked about the dates. Uh, I want to hear your early rifle and your muzzleloader Um but also while I ask that, are there any other archery hunts that like jump out at you as sleepers this year or anything you notice as far as tags dropping or, ooh, that might be a, a good one to go for? Um, and if not, move right into your favorites for muzzleloader and, and early rifle and uh, maybe why you like those picks. 
Yeah, uh, Jay, I usually, as far as sleeper units, I always say they're sleepers because the bulls don't bugle well. (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, I would say to me, although it's no secret, unit 10 looks much better to me with the reduction in the tags. That that's going to be a real consideration for me on my application. Um, you know, I, I still think back to Unit Twenty Two that year that you and I first met, the very first year. And you know, my dad had the Twenty Three hunt, and we got that nice bull, and then we went over to Twenty Two and called, and they were just ripping over there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have an archery hunt over there, and I believe Jay that this year. The archery hunt in 22 is the one with the later dates, and I think it starts the 22nd and runs through October 5th. Yeah, I've got it right here. It's uh, September 22nd through October 5th. There's 40 tags in there. They'll be bugling their guts out. Yeah, not to say that I'm going to apply for that, but I think that might be a little bit of a sleeper hunt, so to speak. Yeah, for a good experience. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. I I think you get into those late dates in September and those early dates in October and you get those bulls that are just you know those five point bulls that are just sounding like monsters and they're just you know and I think 22 I think that hunt would be kind of a bugle fest Um, and with 40 people that's that's manageable and there's areas that you can get away from some people there if you're willing to work at it so I mean from from a bugling aspect I'm glad you point out that hunt. I, I, I think you're right. Um, interesting, just looking at these Go Hunt Insider. Um, last year, uh, uh, 12 points was 100%. There were no apps at 11%. It was 5.2 at, uh, at 10, 10 points, uh, 4.8 at 9 points. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. Let's bounce into, let's actually take a quick break here. And then I want to bounce into early rifle and muzzleloader. Sounds great, Jay. Okay, Steve, let's talk about uh, early rifle and and muzzleloader. And the one thing I would say about these hunts, having, you know, guided the archery and guided muzzleloader and early rifle hunts is, yes, you get to use a rifle. Um, The the drawbacks from, from what I see is you get to hunt after all the archers have jostled all the elk around, you could deal with broken points. Um, yes, they are bugling their, their guts out usually, so from a bugling aspect. But I feel like a lot of people go into these early rifle and these muzzleloader hunts with way high expectations. You know, right. They're in the field during when the archers are there and they're seeing big bulls. By the time their hunt starts, a lot of those bulls are broken. Um, and, you know, those bulls, are jostled around they're out of their pattern i'm not trying to be a debbie downer but i'm just saying i've seen it over and over and over that expectations are way too high and people end up setting themselves up for a failure because they've got such high expectations of you know oh a 390 around every bush well yeah you know (laughs) september 13th before you know a hundred of my friends showed up. Yeah, we could go find a big bull, but he's anybody's <laughs> guess where he's at now. And he might be in a truck on the way back to Ohio. Yeah. And you don't even know for sure. Exactly. But with that being said, I mean, the phenomenal bugling, what, what units are you looking at this year for early rifle and muzzleloader? Yeah, I would say for sure, you know, my top picks for that would be that, you know, the unit nine muzzleloader hunt, 
you know, it rotates between the muzzleloader and rifle every other year. It's on the muzzleloader this year with 35 tags. That's going to be a top pick for sure. Uh, I think I say this with a little bit of reservation, but I think the unit 10 hunt could be very good this year with those dates and with the reduction in tags down to 40. Again, I don't think there's going to be a lot of 350 bulls around to be had. So, you know, like you say, you got to manage expectations first off. I think a lot of people don't realize, I would say the bulk of bulls that are killed on these early rifle hunts, Jay, in reality are probably 310 to 330. Yeah. In I reality. Mean, that's, that's the truth. I mean, <clears throat> Yeah. People can read the magazines and see that, you know, two or three or four bulls in the state that, you know, go 380 plus and then, you know, maybe a handful all across the units that are, you know, 350 to, you know, 380 and then yes. all the rest of the bulls that are like 330 and under. Yeah. And I always let's, you know, 340 and up is in that, you know, bonus gravy range, so to speak. That's, and it used to be, I'd say Six, five, six, seven years ago, it used to be 350 and up. And I noticed yeah. you slid that down now to 340. And I can't agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more that, that that 350, it used to be anything over 350 you ought to think about shooting. Now it's kind of slipped down. Now, obviously, it's different for each unit. But 340 and better, you, you, I mean, you, you better, you know. <laughs> think you long and hard. looking at, yeah. Yeah, you better. Um, you know. A, a couple of other hunts that I'll mention, you know, are the are the one, unit one. It's one two B two C, but we refer to it as unit one because that's where the bulk of the elk are at in the unit. It's always a great bugling unit, great hunt. You know, it had that wall of fire in there, um, but that's been about five years now. Uh, you know, it's still putting out some pretty good bulls, although, like you say, overall the quality's slipping a little bit. Uh, you know, the three A and three C hunts always a good one. It's got twenty five tags. Um, you know, again, with those dates, September 29th through October 5th, there should be good bugling on that hunt. So I, I like that one. Uh, you know, always like the 23 North hunt. Uh, you know, the drawback with it is it's just got 15 tags. And what a guy has to remember, especially a non-resident, no matter how many points you have as a non-resident with 15 total tags, there's only one potential non-resident tag and it's a random tag and it's not even guaranteed to a non-resident. So that hunt, in my mind, does not make a lot of sense to apply for, although it's phenomenal. But, you know, let's let's say you've got a, you, you know, you want to swing for the fence, you could put that in as a wild card and hope that you get that one random tag and then back it up with a good second choice. Steve, break that down for just a second, because I think a lot of people don't really listen to what you just said. Okay. And and 23 North and 23 South are two of my favorite units as far as quality experience and quality of bulls. But what you're saying is even if a guy had a 20 points as a non-resident or yeah. 22 points, yeah. the one non-resident tag in each of those units is completely random, correct? Yes, so, completely so random. Words, and not It could go to a non-resident with one bonus point. That's exactly right. So, you know, it's pretty cool for that guy if he happened to draw the tag. Um, but as I was mentioning earlier, when the, when the Game and Fish is considering bonus points and averaging bonus points for two people, where, the, where let's say, you know, we were talking about a guy with 20 and a guy with four and their total is 24, so their average is 12. Well, let's just say it was 20 and five and, the, and their average was 12 and a half. They would round it up to 13. 
Well, by contrast, when it comes to tag numbers, they round the 0.5 down. And by, by that, I mean on that 23 North Hunt with 15 tags, if you take that times the 10% non-resident cap, you get 1.5. So if you're using that same train of thought, you would think, okay, well, they round that 1.5 up to two. So there's two non-resident tags, which equates to one bonus point tag and one random tag but that's not correct. <laughs> With tags, it rounds down. So when you have 15 tags, it rounds it down to one tag. And since there's just one tag, it's a random tag. And again, I wanna stress that it's not even guaranteed to a non-resident. So all 15 of those tags could be issued to, re to residents only. Same way with the 23 South Hunt with five tags. There's only one potential non-resident tag available if, if that non-resident's application were to come up in the sequence of the draw, he could draw that tag. But if residents were to have lower random numbers generated, there's a chance that no, no non-resident no non would even draw 23 North or 23 South. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point to, to, to mention there. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. And yeah, 23s, they're great units. Um, but when you only have 15 tags, you could have zero non-residents in in, on those hunts that year. Yeah. It, in my mind, you know, just to put it in a nutshell, those 23 hunts are kind of the residents Disneyland hunts. <laughs> yeah. If you're a sure. non-resident, I mean, you might as well put in for the state lottery. You'd probably have a better chance. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, back to the early rifle and muzzleloader. Uh, so you, you like the 9, the 10, the 1, the 3C. Um, you like those hunts. I, I've been in Mexico, so I really haven't poured over the regs. I just got back. You remember how the last couple years they've slid an early rifle or a muzzleloader hunt? Like I think it was 27 last year, and the year before that it was Unit 9. Do you recall, is there any uh, uh, early rifle hunts slid in front of the archery hunts this year? Or did they do away with that? Yeah, the only one I see, Jay, and we were just talking about Unit 22. In Unit 22 North, they have the early rifle hunt with 30 tags prior to the archery hunt. So it would run September 15th through September 21st, seven days there. Okay, that that could be a pretty good hunt. It could be, yes, if, if the bulls are bugling well, which that's a little bit of a up in the air thing with those dates. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steve, talk to me about uh, late elk units that you your, you and your guides like. Uh, what is your priority there as far as units? Yeah, uh, you know, it really differs between rut hunts and late hunts because you're hunting a completely different animal that time of the year. So when you pick a unit, you have to consider the topography first and pick units where it lends itself to glassing and being able to find these reclusive bulls on the late hunt. So, you know, a unit like nine, which can be a great early hunt, is an extremely tough late hunt, and in my opinion, doesn't make, you know, one of the top late hunts for me and my guides. You know, we guide in that unit, but it's a tough hunt. So with that in mind, thinking about the topography and burns and, and that type of thing, you know, for me, unit 23 is right there at the top. Uh, unit 27 is right there as well. You know, with that big wall of fire that went through, it opened up a lot of what was just timbered in 27. 
Uh, you know, we had a phenomenal late season in there this year, killed several, you know, real trophy, you know, 320 and better bulls in there. Uh, same way in 23, we had a great hunt in there. But it, again, it goes back to, to the fact that those units lend themselves to glassing and getting into those rougher areas and finding those reclusive bulls. Uh, we also like unit 10 uh, just because of the terrain there. You know, if you got a lot of those volcanic mountains out there in the unit where you can get up and get elevation and glass. And then also there's just little little creases and little pockets in that unit that if you know it well, and I've got some guides that live there locally who know those little pockets and creases and do very well in unit 10. Um, you know, a couple other units that aren't necessarily my favorites during the rut, during the rut archery and early rifle hunts, but that I like during the late season, again, because of topography, uh, would be units like 7 West, 8, uh, 6A, uh, you know, parts of unit 1, and then even 22. Uh, but if a guy draws 22, he <laughs> he better be ready for some serious, serious, uh, you know, cliffs and and rough country and, and, you know, not a lot of big bulls. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm looking at these draws um, here on Gohan Insider and like just pick a unit like the the late hunt in seven west uh, last year with seven points. It was 100 percent draw. It was 79 percent with six points, um, yep. you, you know, or or you take even unit nine um, with seven points last year. It was 59 percent. There were no apps with nine, no apps. Uh, let's see, no apps with eight, no apps with nine. It was uh, someone put in with 10 points and drew it. Uh, the, the one thing I will point out about these late hunts, the late rifle hunts, this last year in 16, I see that the dates were November 25th through December 1st. I was not on that. Typically, that's desert bighorn sheep season coming up on December 1st, so I'm always scouting. Right. But I did notice this year in 17, they moved that from most of the late hunts are December 1st to December 7th, yes. which on the face value of that from my perspective looking at that you're typically gonna maybe have a little bit cooler weather which yeah you know you say well what difference could a week make well i'm thinking that december 1st through 7th on average is a cooler temperature than november 25th through december right. 1st year in and year out so potentially quality of hunt may be better and even in some of these units like maybe one and um, you know, 27 and, and 6A, some of these that have real high, you know, 9,000 feet and higher, 8,000 feet and higher, you could also be dealing with snow and such, which yes. could be a big positive because it could push some elk down. And um, I think as far as late hunt dates, December 1st through the 7th is a much better date for those late elk hunters. I, I agree, Jay, because those bulls, you know, when it's when it's really cold out there, they are trying to really, you know, pack on the reserves again because they've been depleted during the rut and they are all about feeding. And especially when it gets cold, they will feed much, much more and much more during shooting light when you've got colder temperatures. So it makes your glassing, you know, your glassing time much more effective when it's cold like that. Yeah, you got to dress for it. You got to be ready for it. But, uh, you know, like you highlighted, it, it, it makes it much better for hunting conditions because those bulls are going to be up and feeding where you can glass them. And then as a side note, it makes it nice because everybody can have Thanksgiving with their family before they go on their late hunt. <laughs> yeah, the guides don't have to be away from their family on the, on the late hunt. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at 
I'm looking at late archery. Now we're, we're bumping into something that was started year, a few years back where a bunch of these units, like a unit nine, uh, November 11th uh, through November 24th, uh, 2016, you know, you can hunt the premier unit nine. Of course, you're using a bow. Um, you know, last year, 68% of the people with eight points that were non-residents drew that and 100% with 10 points. Um, or, or, you know, take a unit like a, a 23, you know, 66% of the people with, fought, with uh, four points drew 23 late. Yes. Um, which I'm not going to sit here and tell people that those late archery hunts are any picnic because no. they're not. But if you had the ability to really scout and spend a lot of time you're actually going to get first crack at those bulls after the rut. And a lot of times those bulls after the rut pull back into those nasty steep canyons. They don't move a lot. And if you do a ton of scouting or go with outfitters that know where those elk hang, you actually can probably have a pretty good hunt as long as you understand they're not bugling and they're very skittish that time of year. And if your trophy expectation is in check, I think I think those late archery elk hunts are a sleeper. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jay. Um, because you're right; those bulls haven't really been hunted or pressured since the rut, and you're going to get the first crack at them. I feel like no doubt you're going to see elk. You're going to be able to glass up and see elk. Then it's all going to come down to your physical capabilities and how good of a stalker you are, and then ultimately how good of a shooter you are. Um, you know, I know we both have a good friend, uh, Kevin Passmore, and. Yeah. <laughs> He just slays big bulls on these late archery hunts, and it's because, like you say, number one, he's he's a super stud as far as physical. Um, you know, there's nothing the guy can't do. He's a great glasser, and you know, he spends his time and does his homework. And it, you know, if you're that type of person and can get out there and, and and scout and glass, and that's kind of your thing, and you like the challenge of hunting those big reclusive bulls with a bow late. Uh, yeah, if there if there is such a thing as a sleeper hunt, I would agree with you that these late archery hunts would be that. Yeah, and I I think um, with I'm looking at the um, regs right now, and it looks like most of those late hunts are like November 10th through November 23rd. There's some like November 17th through November 30th. Yes. So a bunch of those like unit nine, eight, nine, ten. Uh, uh, those are, are 22 North, 22 South. Those are starting November 17th and running all the way up until the day right before uh, the early or the uh, late uh, rifle hunt starts. It goes all the way to November 30th. Yeah. So then, then again, I think bumping the the rifle hunt back, you're now getting those late archery hunts moved back even further. Could potentially have a little cooler weather. If you get snow and stuff, those bulls are going to be on their feet because they're trying to eat to 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 you know they've got to they've got to uh, create energy and they've got to get up and feed. Yes. Um, could be a great opportunity. The other thing is potentially if it was a dry spell, you know some of those units seven west nine eight, um, you, you know ten you could potentially sit water. Absolutely. Um, if it was really dry. Yeah. So I mean I think I think uh, you know there's there's some there's some opportunities there. I think those are for people that have a lot of time. I don't think if you plan on a five day hunt you're not going to do very well. But if you have the whole hunt and you're a great hunter, 
I'm betting you can probably get it done on a pretty good board. Yeah, Jay, and that reminds me. I'm glad you bring that up. I would say, without a doubt, and I probably have never told you this, but the biggest bull that I've ever seen in my life on the hoof was on a late archery hunt with a guy. At, we had him at 50 yards and almost got him killed. This bull was an inline 7 by 7 Jay, that I kid you not, was over 420. He was an absolute giant. Um, <laughs> you know, well, all said and done, I, I we didn't get the bull killed, are- but... We did see him on that late hunt, and we did have him at archery range. And unfortunately, you know, he was facing us, and we had a head-on shot, so we didn't have a shot. But nonetheless, a giant bull. And I'll also highlight the fact, now that we're talking about late rifle and late archery hunts, that I talk to people every year, so I want to mention this, who mistakenly apply for the late archery hunt as opposed to the early archery hunt, or the late rifle hunt as opposed to the early rut hunt. So... I want to make certain that people, you know, know this going in when they're going to apply to be sure that you check when you select a hunt code, the computer is going to give you a pop-up box showing you what you just picked. And you never want to apply when you're in a hurry because you'll overlook something like that. But you always want to confirm that when you make a selection and it brings that pop-up box, be sure that you read it. Read the dates, read the tag numbers, make sure that it says bull elk if that's what you're applying for. Because I probably talk to five or six people at a minimum every year who mistakenly draw a tag that they didn't think they applied for. Yeah, I mean, I won't say his name, but you had a client that hunted um, uh, elk with you, I believe, in 3C. And he put in for unit 10 and thought he drew a unit 10 early archery yes. tag and he drew i believe a late archery tag in 10 yes. and, you know had conflicts and you know was was bummed because i think he i think he ended up having like 10 or 12 points or something that he ended up wasting on a late hunt yeah um i remember being so, on I the mean, phone it, can happen. Jay, it was kind of funny because i was on the phone with him and for some reason i asked him i think i asked him what his tag number was or something to that effect. And when he told me the tag number and it was like number one, I was like, oh no, there's something wrong here with the amount of bonus points you have to have drawn the early archery hunt in unit 10 with his, his total of bonus points. I knew something was wrong and sure enough, it ended up being the late archery hunt. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. That's a, that's a, that's a tough, a tough one for someone that's, you know, jumping around thinking they're going to get to hear him bugling. Um, Steve, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I, I, I want to give you a chance if you have anything else you want to point out there. Uh, and, and then I want to talk to you just real briefly about, uh, your elk calls, uh, what you're working on. Have you got anything up your sleeve or are you going to leave us in suspense? <laughs> um, how, how have the sales been going? I know, uh, Chris Rowe and myself and, you know, Craig Steele, we use that uh, trophy wife uh, and the matriarch. We really like those external read calls. I know you have some great success with your diaphragms and and all your calls. Um, Before we get into that, though, do you have anything else you want to add on on applying for Arizona Elk 2017? Yeah, I would just say going back to what we've covered is, you know, to put it in a nutshell, remember, it all comes down to your first two choices. And if you're one of those guys that has high point totals, you really need to look and study the statistics, you know, like Jay's talking about at Go Hunt Insider, and know where you're sitting so you don't draw your second choice if that's not really a hunt that you want to get. 
Um, so really think about that with your bonus points. And remember, it all comes down to your first two choices. Um, aside from that, I would encourage people to, you know, take a look at my DVD. It's, it's on my website. You can order it off my website, free shipping. Um, it's really going to highlight how you can learn to read those bonus point reports. And you can go through and, you know, I cover archery, early rifle, late rifle, and I take an example out of each one and I walk through the, those reports and explain how you can read those reports, understand how many bonus points it's going to take you to guarantee you the tags. And then I also explain the random phase of the draw and how someone would draw, you know, in that part of the draw with some more detail than I talked about today. So I think especially if somebody watches that DVD a couple of times, because uh, the first time, you know, I can imagine, you know, sometimes your eyes are going to gloss over watching, you know, an hour, hour and 15 minutes of <laughs> It's like geometry exactly. class in ninth exactly. grade. Exactly, <laughs> with the guy up there teaching geometry or calculus. But if you'll watch it a couple of times, I think it'll really sink in and it'll you'll soak into you and you'll you'll get a real good grasp for how the draw works. You know, I think that's like the best 20 bucks a, a person could spend uh, to really understand the draw. Uh, so, you know, that'd be my advice right there. I agree. I've got the DVD and it's it's a great resource and uh, you did a phenomenal, so in-depth and thorough on it. You did a great job. Um, elk calls, uh, got great elk calls, obviously extreme uh, bulls DVDs. Those have been classics. I mean, anybody that's hunted elk in the last uh, 15 years knows the extreme bulls uh, series and uh, knows the name Steve Chappell. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. You got any, I know you're always tinkering with something. You're you tinkering. Uh, you know, with elk calls, I, I do have something up my sleeve and I have a prototype. I just don't know Jay, uh, whether we're going to be able to, you know, get it built and, and released, you know, what, what probably a lot of people don't know. And I, you know, I've just had to come to realize this as well is that to build a, you know, a new elk call, it requires a, a separate mold and that's expensive. And so, you know, I'm working with Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. I've had a great relationship with them since 2010, I think, is when I started. Uh, you know, love what they do building my calls. Um, I'm hopeful that we can get this, you know, prototype out. It, it is an external readed call. Um, but even if that were to not happen, I really feel like, you know, you and I talked about it a lot on the podcast earlier this year. It doesn't really necessarily matter how old a call is or what the name of it is or the marketing or flashy packaging. If it sounds elky and it has that nasal three-dimensional tonal quality, um, like I think you would agree, like my matriarch and my trophy wife cow calls do, that call is going to work this year and it's going to work 20 years from now. So, you know, I would just urge people to keep that in mind and, you know, not fall for the flashy marketing campaigns. Um, you know, that, that all of us <laughs> are taking in. Oh, yeah. uh, because, you know, let's face it, it is important. Marketing is important. But at the end of the day, it's all about what a call sounds like when you blow it. So, um, yeah, again, th those calls, the, the matriarch, the trophy wife, and my mouth diaphragms, I think are going to work this year for a guy just like they did five years ago and just like they will 20 years from now. Yeah, they're for sure. They're classics that, it, you know, they just... I can pick up a call, a matriarch that I've had for, you know, six, seven years and blow it. And it's, you know, just sounds great. Um, so uh, I did want to ask you, uh, Real Game Calls, uh, Drew Rouse there in Gypsum, huh? Colorado. 
Um, did you hear, have you heard my commercial on real game calls and that real nasally, real caffy sound that that uh, little little box call Ooh. makes? It's just like a little wooden. Yeah, call. Jay, I did. It's been a long time. It's been since summertime when you and I did the podcast, and I think theirs was right around that same time. But yeah, that yeah. definitely did perk my ears up. I, I would agree with yeah. you. That has a very distinct, yeah. very elky sound um, that you just don't get out of most calls. Yeah, I think, um, and as you know, you know, having an arsenal where you've got a bunch of different sounds right. um, just makes you a better right. hunter. Um, you know, although I could throw you out there with one call and you're going to tear them up. So <laughs> maybe um, <laughs> uh, it's been great having you on as always. Um, congrats on your great season last year. You and your guides at Chapel Guide Service and um, you guys do a phenomenal job. And I just uh, really appreciate your friendship. Appreciate you uh, being on here and sharing your 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 expertise and your knowledge and um, want to give you a chance to let people know how they can get a hold of you and if they want to follow up and talk to you more about uh, this coming elk season 2017 application. You bet, Jay. I appreciate being on, and I want to extend a special thanks to, to my guides. Um, I, I've got some really great ones and, you know, who are real committed to me, and I really appreciate them. I uh, also want to say thanks to Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls, you know, who I said I've worked with since 2010. Um, They've just done some great things with me call-wise, so I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, mention them and appreciate them. And then, you know, also you, Jay, and your friendship since 1995. You and I really grew up in elk hunting together. Uh, you know, I consider you a great friend. I always appreciate being on the podcast because I know you have some great guests, and, you know, I don't take being on here lightly. So I really appreciate that, you know, and, of course, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't thank God for all the blessings he's given me in my life and, you know, just being able to do what I love, um, it, you know, and know that I, I have salvation and a home in heaven because of what Jesus did for me. So I'm, I'm so grateful for Absolutely. that. And I want everyone to know that. But um, so aside from that, <laughs> uh, getting back to what you asked me, if, if someone wants to uh, get a hold of me, my website is chapelguideservice.com. And that's chapel with two P's and two L's. And then uh, we also have a Facebook page, which is Chapel Guide Service. And uh, my email is on my website, and my 1-800 number is also listed on my website, so you can get to me straight off my website uh, and get a hold of me. Um, you know, I like to say that I get back with people within a day. This time of year is pretty busy for me with phone calls, but, you know, I really try to, to uh, you know, be a, a, a good businessman and get back, back with people in a timely manner. So if you give me a call and uh, leave me your phone number, I will get back to you and talk to you about your elk application. So, uh, Jay, thanks again so much for having me on today. It's been, been a lot of fun as always. Yeah, for sure. It just uh, dawned on me, 1995, if my math's correct, that's 22 years. <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> How old are we getting good? Yeah, night? you oh and I, goodness. you know, we're not we're not walking with canes yet or we don't have bark, but, uh, <laughs> you know, give us another 22 years and we might be there, right? Yeah. We might. <laughs> we'll be we'll be racing wheelchairs down the uh, down at the nursing exactly. home. Good night, yeah. buddy. That's awesome. 22 years. Well, it's been it's been a great 22 years and uh, it's been great knowing you. Yeah, and, same uh, here. Tell, uh, tell Barb and the Barb and the girls hello for me, and uh, we'll be chatting at you down down the road. We'll do, Jay. Thank you, and tell your wife Jean hello for me. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye.